in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. Well, I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Mike Gravala is in for Ed Graney all day today. We start the front page with Las Vegas will host the Super Bowl in 2024, according to the Review Journal. This was originally scheduled to be in New Orleans, but they didn't look at the calendar. Uh, it's going to coincide with Mardi Gras, and New Orleans said, you know what's more important than the Super Bowl? Mardi Gras. So they gave New Orleans the next year. And Vegas will fill in and host the Super Bowl in 2024. Are you excited about the Super Bowl? I'm very excited about the Super Bowl. Why wouldn't I be? Why are, wouldn't anyone be? Eh, Super Bowl. Are you going to go? Are you going to be there? If I have to be there in like my job capacity, I will go. I would never go near a Super Bowl as a fan. Right. Like in person. Which is why I ask if you're excited because... I'm not going to go as a fan in person. But it's just exciting to have it around. You okay. know, you'll feel the buzz in the city. The buzz. And, yeah. Are you excited about the Pro Bowl? Is that? No, I'm not excited. Okay, I don't feel you. the Pro Bowl Because we're getting coming. that in like two months. I don't month, feel that Whatever buzz. that is. Thank you. Like, that's the thing that's like, oh, the Pro Bowl is coming to Vegas. I do not care. And I don't want to have to pretend to care either. Which no. is the, the bad part. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with the Pro Bowl mm. because. Probably going to be doing the show live. Probably. From the bowl. Probably. Yeah. Good thing we do a morning show. Nobody will be there, Jared. No. We also get the NHL All-Star game, which is slightly better than the Pro Bowl, but that's, not much. That's a big deal. But the Super Bowl is, it's the Super right. Bowl. Like, it's the biggest thing you can have. But it's presumably not going to change my actual viewing experience because I'm just going to be sitting on my couch, whether it's in New Orleans or Vegas. Oh, the same. I'll, you know, I'll spend 12 hours that day You'll be in front of the TV. Couch? But <laughs> the, the thing that I was, you know, reading up a little bit on it is like, this, the, it does this. It serves no tangible purpose to the city. Like you're not going to make money. It's not going to bring Las money Vegas to the city. We'll lose money. Yes, because Las Vegas Super Bowl Sun Super Bowl weekend. Las Vegas is the second most populated city among you know NFL tourists. hotel rooms are full anyway. Because people it's, already come here to gamble and watch it. Yeah. Now so, we're going to have to give the NFL money effectively, or we're going to have to give them a way for them to make money where we don't make as much money. Because the NFL, when they give you the Super Bowl. There's like a 50-page document where they get to do things like, hey, all your ATMs, those now are ours. We have our own ATMs we put in, right? Uh, all the hotel rooms that the teams are staying at, if the Wi-Fi is not good enough, we charge the city to upgrade the Wi-Fi, right? Like that, those are the types of things they put in here. We're absolutely going to make less money having the Super Bowl than we would not having the Super Bowl. But if you're willing to admit up front that we're just paying for the experience... That's you can go ahead and do that because people is, do that in their life all the time. Nobody has admitted that the entire time with the Legion Stadium. Not one time has somebody come out and just been like, you know what? We might not make a bunch of money, but this is going to be cool. It's just fun to have the Super right. Bowl in your city Which, for two weeks. I agree with the whole premise. Yeah, I do sports radio. It's fun. But the idea that we're going to make a bunch of money, nobody's just come out and said, you know what? We might not make a whole bunch of money on this, but it's going to be really cool. Well, start beating that drum. Start getting people comfortable to the idea that we're just doing this for a good time. It's going to be a good time.
Like, um, yeah. I was just going to say, it's like traveling to Peru. You're just doing it for a good time. I don't care about your next question. Steph Curry made five three-pointers last night in a 102-100 win over the Pacers. His five made threes leaves him one short of tying Ray Allen's record for the most career three-pointers made. The Warriors will play the Knicks tonight at Madison Square Garden. Though the Warriors were apparently stuck in Indiana last night, and they're not leaving for New York until this morning. Going to be a tired Steph Curry, but he needs one three to tie, two threes to pass Ray Allen for the record. He didn't do it right. If you leave yourself one short of that record, it's going to be anticlimactic to tie it and break it. Like, it's just going to be just some first quarter random, just a normal three-pointer. It's like you he should have come in, you know, needing five to tie and six to break. Then you go nuts in Madison Square Garden and you make, you know, five, six, seven, and, you know, it's a big moment. Now it's just kind of, you know, it's just going to happen. Well, there was apparently a conversation within the Warriors to sit Steph Curry for last night's game. Because it was a back-to-back, sit him for one of the two on the back-to-back and let him play in Madison Square Garden. And let him and, have to make six to tie right. and seven to break it, which would have been more in exciting. Madison. It would have been. I, I agree. It would have been very... And that MSG crowd would have been probably cheering for him by the end of it, and they would have probably applauded him breaking yeah. the record, and now it's it's almost going to go, not unnoticed, but he'll just kind of slip it in there. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, three minutes into the game, you probably have it. Yeah. I assume, unless the Knicks go all out and just double-team the hell out of it. We're going to lose, but Steph Curry's not getting the record. Just two guys face-guard him all the way up the floor. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Kyrie Irving could come back. Here's a Sham Sharnia report. (laughs) There is renewed optimism around Irving's returning to the Nets this season. Sources with knowledge of the situation tell the athletic. He was always going to come try to come back at some point this season because once the games start being played, he falls out of the news. Like it's no one's talking about it. Like before the season starts, he'll suck up all the oxygen, get all the attention for not getting vaccinated. But once you start playing the games, no one cares anymore. So he's got to come back to be the focus of attention. It remains unclear whether Irving's potential return this season would come via vaccination to meet New York City's COVID-19 vaccine requirements or by the Nets opening the door for him to play road games and practice at home. So Sham Sharni doesn't actually have much information here as to how Kyrie Irving would return, which the David Ross point earlier in the show and kind of to your point right now, this sounds like Kyrie Irving or somebody with Kyrie Irving just basically saying, hey, you might come back. Remember me? The, the the line in that story that got me was that Kyrie and KD have increased communication about his fit on the team, breaking down the games, and about life in general. Can you imagine talking to Kyrie Irving <laughs> about life in general? Like that's your guy. You're gonna, hey man, let's we just gotta chop it up for a few minutes. I Let's, mean, it sounds entertaining. It doesn't. It doesn't. It sounds exhausting. It, it sounds, sounds very tedious and exhausting. Well, you know, if you try to argue with him, sure. But if you just listen to him. Sounds entertaining. Do you not have that uncle that believes everything they like read on YouTube and you have to sit there at Thanksgiving? The and most just... entertaining person at Thanksgiving. Okay. See, and the rest of us at Thanksgiving are like looking at our siblings going, save me. Yeah. It's the most entertaining guy at Thanksgiving. Imagine Kyrie Irving showing up to your Thanksgiving dinner. It'd be fun. <laughs> It'd become a super spreader event. Next question. Also, according to Sham Sharnia. Seven teams are interested in Ben Simmons. The Knicks, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, the Blazers, the Kings, the Pacers, and the Cavaliers. 
the 76ers have basically held firm with the idea that they want a star level player back for Ben Simmons. Daryl Morey came out and said, Hey, this team can win a title and we're not going to trade Ben Simmons for role players. If we're trading Ben Simmons, it's for players that can help this team win a title right now. If the Sixers hold true to that from that list of teams, who are the players that can help the Sixers win a title right now? CJ McCollum, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is probably the best name on. I don't know if he's going to be available, but I do think they're doing the right thing and just holding on to Ben Simmons and waiting for a star to become disgruntled and want to leave their current team because that happens constantly in the NBA. Like if you wait long enough, De'Aaron Fox is going to ask for a trade or you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns is going to ask for a trade or someone's going to demand a trade that has a high salary that will match. And then you can make that move. And Ben Simmons is a pretty good return for a guy like that. So it is interesting that the 76ers have kind of sabotaged Ben Simmons themselves while also now trying to trade him, but also that he has multiple years left under his contract. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what gives the Sixers, I think, power, even though like there's no... They don't really have the leverage in terms of like a trade discussion right now, because if you're another team, you just say, well, we're not giving you a bunch for Ben Simmons. You guys don't have any leverage, but they do have power in terms of over Ben Simmons, because it's not like, oh, he can just walk as a free agent at the end of this year and sign with whoever he's under the 76ers control for three more years. I, we've seen the players try to like erode that, that, that line of power. It's like when you've got one year left on your deal, you demand out, you can name your destination. Then you saw... Anthony Davis, James Harden, we've got two years left. We're going to demand out, and then we're going to make it miserable for you if you don't trade us, and then you eventually will cave. Ben Simmons is trying to do it with four years left, yeah. and it's not working. So that they found the line, and it's <laughs> if you've got four years left, one or two years left, you can do it. But with four years left, you're just going to sit on the bench and wait. No four-year contracts allowed. Man, you know, that's a great question. New Nevada head coach Ken Wilson will make $950,000 per year. They hired him away from Oregon, where he was an assistant coach, co-defensive coordinator. He is now the highest paid football coach in Nevada history, the university history. He's only the ninth highest paid coach in the Mountain West. For comparison, Marcus Arroyo will make $1.55 million next year. More than a half million more than Ken Wilson up in Nevada. How is this athletic department in Nevada constantly like good at football and basketball, despite presumably being one of the poorest in the entire conference? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I went up to their football stadium this season for the first time, and I was stunned at just how poor the facilities are. I couldn't believe it was a Division One team, and the fact that they are... C- always have a better coach, always have better players than UNLV. It's just, I don't know how they do it. They've basically always been better at football, or at least for the last, whatever, two decades. And basketball-wise, it wasn't like this, you know, you go back a decade ago, but since they hired Musselman and into, even though they've struggled this year, but into the Steve Alford era, they've been better than UNLV in basketball. And again, they apparently are one of the poorest uh, Mountain West schools, right? This is one of the schools that spends less money than everybody else. Meanwhile, UNLV spends more than just about everybody that's not named like San Diego State. In this conference. Like they spend a lot of money at UNLV and the football team hasn't been good in years. The basketball team hasn't been good in years. And you look at it from, I know uh, Chris Murray from Nevada Sportsnet, who's the one that reported this. He does a, uh, a what, what is it? Is a, a dollar per win 
uh, breakdown in the Mountain West. He'll do that every now and then, which obviously makes Nevada look good because they win quite a bit and they don't spend as much. Uh, UNLV is almost at the, always at the bottom of those lists because they spend like they're a top three team and they're not top three in either of the two important sports. Great question. Thank you. Spencer Rattler is transferring to South Carolina. He lost his job at Oklahoma to Caleb Williams. Obviously, Lincoln Riley left as well to go to USC. And now Spencer Rattler is going to the other USC on the other coast of the country. I love the college football transfer portal simply for what it's done to the quarterback position because there are so many quarterbacks in the transfer portal. And... Yeah, you play right away. You can go. It's great. It's it really does. It's changed the entire landscape of the sport and pretty much overnight. Yeah. And so what the the one time immediately eligible transfer rule does that I think is fun. It holds coaches accountable to whatever playing time promises they made in recruiting. Like if you have some five star or whatever and you're like saying, hey, come on in. We're going to give you a shot to win the job or we're going to give you X amount of playing time and a player doesn't feel like he got the a fair shot at it, they can leave right away. They don't have to sit out a year to go somewhere. They can. They don't have to sit around behind whoever. They can leave right away if they feel like a coach lied to them with whatever they offered them in playing time, and I think that's great. Empower the players. Don't make Spencer Rattler win. Now, Spencer Rattler was the starter and lost his job. A little bit different scenario, but it's great. I enjoy that very, very much. That's a great, great question. Also in college football, the fake slide has been banned. So if you saw the ACC championship game, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback running down the field, faked a slide. He started to like lean his shoulders back a little bit. Like he was going to go into a slide Two defenders sort of pulled up because Hey, he's sliding. He's going to be down. And then he just ran around them for a touchdown. Uh, the rules committee has come out and say that that, that play is supposed to be blown dead because that counts as starting the slide. And once you start the slide, you are down right there. So if you lean your shoulders back, you're starting a slide plays dead. How do you feel about in the pros in the NFL, the fake, the quarterback scrambling, fake stepping out of bounds, and then tiptoeing in for an extra five yards? It's Patrick Mahomes' signature move. Yeah, Kyler Murray did it yesterday, too. I I like it. Like, I, <sighs> God. I like it. Jared and I both sighed at the same time because we both knew you were going to yeah, like no, it. That's horrible. You're going to like it. Because it's, it's exploiting a rule. Like, I like the fake slide, too. Like, it's exploiting a rule, and I, I enjoy that very much. I do also think as a defensive player, you can play it smart enough to where you don't blow the guy up if he goes out of bounds. They're not flagging you if you hit the guy as he steps out of bounds. They are, though. They're not. They're they, giving you, as long as you don't like go headhunting, if you just push the guy out of bounds, you're fine. So I, I think I think if you're a defender, you can play the out of bounds one a lot easier than you can play the fake slide. Because the fake slide's open field. You're, you're in pretty much no man's land. Out of bounds... You don't have to blow the guy up. He's on the sideline. Just give him a little tap, and he's going out of bounds. Okay. I don't... <laughs> Exploit I, the rule. I, I don't like it. Just go run out of bounds. Be, do the honorable thing. No, go out of bounds. Sports. There's no place for honor. We're here to win games. Coming up next, the Raiders going to win any more games? I did mention it because it became, uh, you know, my dear Amy here helps me out. So this is some story about you had a heated argument with Marvin Jones. You know, I see people stare at their phones and, and the players knew it. Sorry. So he doubled down on that. I had a heated argument with. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It didn't happen. Yeah. But I, I got to move. We got to move on. And can I give out 
Marvin's text number or something? <laughs> Is that an appropriate name? worry about James' mentality, I worry about Marvin Jones' mentality because that's reality. What you just said is reality. Reality of an athlete and reality of a coach. When you work so freaking hard at something and it's not executing, that's an absolute. And I have experienced that. Some of his other stuff, the stories, and I've never heard of that kind of stuff in my life. But I have heard about frustration. Every coach and every athlete have dealt with frustration. I do enjoy Urban Meyer thinking the correct solution to the report about him and Marvin Jones arguing is to give Marvin Jones a cell phone number out so that everyone could ask Marvin Jones. I think the media would like that. Probably. If you, inv- if you invite them to it's... ask the player directly, I think they would say, sure. I don't think Marvin Jones would like that. <laughs> I think that would cause Marvin Jones to be even angrier at Urban Meyer. They had repaired their relationship. <laughs> then Urban gave out his cell phone number. <laughs> so... Rich Passaccia yesterday, Raiders interim head coach, he talked to the media and he said that he did not like the Raiders gathering on the Kansas City logo before the game, right? Didn't like that. Derek Carr, after the game, when asked about it, said that it wasn't his idea, but he's got his teammates back. And if that's what they're doing, that's what he's going to do. Is it an over-analysis to say that in the days after you or the Raiders stomp on the logo and get blown out, that the quarterback and the head coach come out and say, yeah, didn't didn't really love that? Is it over-analyzing to say this team's leadership is completely shot and useless? This is why you don't do it in the first place. Because if it doesn't work, it's going to backfire, and then you have all these questions about it, which really does not, it doesn't matter at all, but now it's, you're questioning the quarterback's leadership of the team because of some stupid thing that you shouldn't have done in the first place. And yes, it does say a lot about his leadership that like he was not entirely on board. The team was like, well, we're going to do it anyways. Could you imagine like the 2006 Indianapolis Colts running that by Peyton Manning (laughs) and Manning's like, guys, I don't think that's a good idea. And then the rest of the team going, well, we're going to do that anyways. It's like, no, you're not. You would, that it would stop dead in its tracks, that whole plan. Right. Like, so if Carr is not on board and they do it anyways, I think it's, I don't know if it says a lot, but it says something. I like to imagine Peyton Manning leading the Colts out to like the Patriots logo and jumping around on the Patriots logo at midfield. Which he would never do, which also says something about (laughs) gathering on the logo and stomping on the logo, which is a new, kind of a new thing, which I also don't really get. Like, when did stomping on the logo become such a disrespectful disrespectful sign? It's disrespectful. But it's... It's on the ground. Okay, here's and what it's I... In, and it's in a... If, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's in a high-traffic area. Okay. So <laughs> I cannot remember who was calling the game for CBS, but the, the color announcer for CBS was like, I've never understood the stomping on the logo thing because as soon as the game kicks off, everybody's running on the logo. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember Kyrie Irving did that to the Celtics logo earlier in the year, and it became a huge story, but it's like... It's at midcourt. It's under your feet. You can't run around it for 48 minutes. <laughs> Same thing in football. You can't avoid that big logo for 60 minutes. But like in hockey, they put the logo on the ground in the middle of the locker room and you're not allowed to walk on it. That's a different, that's not in the playing field. That's a superstition, okay. an internal superstition held by many teams. Um, and they can enforce that internally if they like. But to have just a public space where you can't, <laughs> like it's disrespectful to walk over the logo in the middle of the field. I don't get. And also, but back to the main point, like the Raiders, obviously they should not have done that. I mean, I, you, you, I know, I, I know you enjoyed them doing I personally it, personally enjoyed but it. But this is why you because don't do it. If they come out and win the game, oh, it's phenomenal. 
Oh, you stomped on the logo, then stomped on them. That also, maybe great. pick your spots. Maybe stomp on the logo. Maybe not when you're at Kansas City, when you know they're going to drop 40 on you and destroy you. Maybe do it. Maybe stomp on your own logo when you're hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was going to say the Jets, the Giants, if they're in town. Well, they lost go. to the Giants. They lost to the Giants. Uh, yeah. So the Raiders to... really have to pick their there's, spots there's if they're going to do something like this. They can do it, too. Yeah. They gotta, you got to wait till after the game, I think. If you if you want to look good about it, you, you know they took the victory lap in the bus last year. Had they won that game, then you go jump around on the logo afterwards. That would have been better than what they did, which that is actually going probably would have started a fight. Would be my guess. Because yeah. when they did it before the game, I don't believe the Chiefs were on the field. I think the Raiders were on the field by themselves when they did it. Had they done it after the game, like if they had won some emotional close game and they went and all jumped on the logo, probably would have been a fight. Which. I would have would enjoyed. Also, yeah, if you're someone who enjoys logo stomping, you would enjoy the ensuing right. fight that, that comes from it. Yannick Ngakwe leads him out there after he has a big sack to seal the game up on fourth down. That would have been great. How about just going out there after the, the game where you lose by 40 and just stopping on the logo? That would have been fun, too. It's like, take that. People we can't, have been very confused. We can't beat you on the field, but we're going we to mess, yeah. mess up your logo. What is Ngakwe doing? He's just hurting the, the poor groundskeepers. <laughs> Okay, so what do you get to? All right, I gotta pull that up later. So, what do you think of like what is this like 15 years ago when TO scored and then ran all the way to midfield to slam the ball down on the star in Dallas? Like, that's and I can't remember who came up and tackled George Teague came up and, and hit him, and that was you know, that's the same thing. Like, it's if the Cowboys hadn't reacted like that, I don't think it would have been a big deal. It's just a guy running out to. To spike the ball at midfield, which is you don't see very often, but it, it's not like a fifty yards yes, which is not that big. Like it's, <laughs> it's the reaction you're generating. It makes it a bigger story, but yeah, it's all in the in the same family. I love it. I want more of it. I think every time the Raiders score from here on out, they need to run to the opponent's logo and jump on it. They're in Cleveland. Does Cleveland have a midfield logo? I feel like their field has no logo at midfield. Uh, I don't know. Maybe go up to the dog pound and just before the game and just stomp on it. That'd be fun. What? Wait, what do you stomp on there? Just the, dog. the, the bleachers. Just the, <laughs> Oh, the actual. Yes, go up into the sands <laughs> and whatever, and vacate the people there. <laughs> or if they're brave enough to stick around, you just send your entire team up there and make your presence felt. Send your entire team up there. Minus Derek Carr. Felt. Minus Derek Carr. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's he's their not own helmet. The only, smart man their, on the, yeah. the only smart man on the roster. The Browns apparently. don't have a logo. Oh, they got on. the elf. But, he, but they don't actually use that. They don't have a logo. Like, if you put an orange helmet at midfield, it's not worth stomping on. Not worth it. Not a good enough logo. Coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. Our defense did a hell of a job getting us the ball back. I was standing on the sideline next to Kevin O'Connell right before that play where AD tipped it and, and Ernest picked it. I mean, not three seconds before that play happened. I'm thinking about, all right, let's go down and answer. Let's answer back after this. He goes, well, you never know. This guy might try to throw one in there. It could get tipped and picked. And as he's finishing his sentence, the dang thing happens. And we're rolling the other way. He and I looked at each other like, holy shit, that happened. And, uh, you know, we were out there. So our defense did a great job. Big time plays and big time moments getting the ball back for us. And we were able to capitalize on it. Joining us now is Charles McDonald. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts, and you can read his work at For the Win. Good morning, Charles. I want you to start off here. Put yourselves, uh, pretend you are an assistant coach in the NFL. How much more would the Jags have to pay you to take a job with that team if you had an offer from another team? Ooh, double. 
Uh, <laughs> well, is Irvin still going to be the head coach? Because if that's the case, triple. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 okay, that has to be like one of the most toxic workplaces uh, like out there. I'm not talking about just the NFL, like just in general. Uh, because like, any time that one, you get four games through the season and everyone's like, oh, okay, this isn't going to work. Uh, this definitely has to end right now. And, you know, we get now to uh, the end of the season and Urban and is basically saying that anyone who's leaking stuff is going to be out of here, gone. Like, that doesn't really seem like a way to build uh, morale and get people back on your side by threatening their employment uh, publicly to the media. So uh, I, I can't imagine that anyone is, like, thrilled to be working in Jacksonville. They're, like, Hemorrhaging assistant coaches to uh, college football right now, uh, and you know, I mean, to lose got you an NFL job to college basically says everything uh, that you need to know about what's going on there. Uh, like, you even got to the point last week where Trevor Lawrence, who I don't think has like ever said anything interesting ever in his entire <laughs> life in the press conference, came out and said that, uh, yeah, we need to have James Robinson out on the field, and then. Uh, I think James Robinson sat most of the game against uh, the Titans, so it's a it's a pretty bad work environment, and I I can't imagine that Urban's going to be around much longer, no matter what Shotcon says in the media. It seems like this is a no brainer to fire him, but like you say, you can't imagine he's around any longer. Why do I get the sense he is around next season? Oh, because I mean, we don't need to, you know, sugarcoat it. I mean, there's a reason why the Jaguars. Haven't won anything since uh, Shaq Khan is in there. Like they've had one win in the season, and then uh, it all fell apart like spectacularly fast. I mean, this guy is one of, if not the worst owner in the NFL. They don't win anything. They don't compete for anything. So, you know, him making another bad decision and bringing Irwin back, uh, I guess wouldn't wouldn't really be that surprising, just given like the history of Shaq Khan. I mean, it's the same guy who signed off on a contract extension to Blake Bortles. Uh, let Urban Meyer hire Chris Doyle, who had, like, literally just got fired months before for, uh, you know, racist and dangerous acts while he was at the University of Iowa. I mean, it's just bad decision after bad decision. So, you know, if you're sitting here in a spot next year where Urban's still the head coach and you're still losing those games, I don't think you can be that surprised. But, you know, you just kind of hope that common sense kicks in somewhere with, with Shaq Khan and he understands really, like, how dire a situation this is, how embarrassing it is, and and it's really only going to get more embarrassing if you let it go on and don't rip the plug on this immediately. Is there anything funnier than a team gathering on the opponent's midfield logo and then losing by 40? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I got a pretty good chuckle out of that one, and especially since you, you almost lost by 40 the first time you played, too. Like, <laughs> I don't really know what, what, what was going on there because if, if someone – if, if you tell me I got to play against someone who just beat me forty-one to fourteen last time, like I'm, I'm not concerned about going to make it, you know, make a show at midfield. I just hope we can make it a game. Like, uh, uh, can, like can we compete? Can we keep it within two, three scores instead of getting blown out the water uh, before we start dancing on, uh, you know, midfield levels? And just like to clarify, like I am in favor of showboating and doing things like that. And I do find it funny that. Uh, you show but like that, and then you get blown out against a team that blew you out like uh, you know four or five weeks ago. But you know, just to make it easier on yourself, if you're a Raiders player, you might just want to make that score a little bit closer next time. Like if you're the Ravens and you do it after a big 
wild card win and you get that monkey off your back of people saying you can't win a playoff game, absolutely go dance with the midfield logo. If you lost 41 to 14 at home last time and uh, you're playing against a team that really has uh, a lot to play for this year and they have like, oh, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes, might not want to dance with the midfield logo for you go and do that. Uh, do you believe Kansas City's all the way back or just when they play the Raiders? Uh, I was just about to say, they're definitely back when they play the Raiders. Uh, but I, I think as a whole, they're still, they're still like a little bit off because, you know, it's, it's funny, like outside of those two games against the Raiders, uh, they're on a six-game winning streak, but their offense hasn't scored more, or, you know, they haven't scored more than 22 points uh, in any game outside of the game against the Raiders. In the game, they scored 22 points and they had a pick six from a, uh, uh, Daniel Sorsen against the Broncos. So I, I wouldn't say that they're they're back. I think they're back in like an interesting way where uh, the defense seems to be the strength of the team lately, except when they play the Raiders, because uh, then everyone seems to be the strength of the team. So, uh, I, you know, I, I would still be a little bit concerned if I'm a Chiefs fan because the offense like hasn't been uh, up to standard. But at the same time, like you play some pretty solid defenses in this stretch. You know, the Packers, Cowboys, Broncos. You're not going to light up all those units, but at the same time, I would be a little bit concerned that the offense is not like back in the way that uh, we've that you know we've become accustomed to over the past three or four years. Charles McDonald with us again. Follow him on Twitter at Four Verts. Read his work at For the Win. Um, the Buffalo Bills. How confident are you they make the playoffs? Um, I mean they're they're like the most confusing team in the league to me because like when you look at just like their you know, for lack of a better term, like analytics profiles and the more advanced numbers, like they are performing like one of the better teams in the league. I mean, point differential wise, they're up there. Their defensive passing efficiency is utterly insane still, even with that game uh, against Tampa Bay yesterday. But for some reason, they just can't seem to like consistently, you know, get across the finish line and get to where uh, they need to be. I think they're also to philosophy is a little bit too pass heavy right now. I mean, they didn't have, uh, I didn't, I don't think they have a, a, a handoff until the third quarter uh, against Tampa Bay on Sunday. So, you know, I think there are definitely some concerns about where the bills are, uh, but luckily for them, they do have a pretty easy schedule to end the season outside of the game against the Patriots. They play uh, the Panthers and the Patriots and the Falcons and the Jets. So, you know, you should be able to win three of those four games if everything goes right for you. You definitely have a shot to win all four. So I do think they'll make the playoffs, but it's definitely been a kind of a disappointing season uh, for them on the win chart compared to, like, how they've actually performed on the field. You don't think the Falcons are going to screw up their draft pick by beating the Bills? Oh, I mean, that would be the most Atlanta thing to do <laughs> uh, at this point because – I mean, it, the, my favorite thing with the Falcons this year is the one year you finally get, um, you know, some close game luck going in your favor where you're actually winning these one-score games. You know, you're not actually going to win anything meaningful. Uh, sure, yeah, they're 6-7 and seven and technically tied for, you know, the seventh seed based on how things you know, turn out for them during the season. But they're 6-7 and seven with a minus 108 point differential. Like, that's pretty hard to pull off, like, to even be in this – conversation for a playoff spot when you've been out for by 108 points all season. Like that's as bad as like, you know, the Lions and the Jaguars and Texans and, and teams of, of, of that status, but they're here and they're going to make the playoffs and no one's going to be happy. And uh, they're going to get destroyed like 48 to three by Tampa Bay. We're all going to be like, wow, that was a total waste of time. And that's kind of what we're talking to. 
Will they jump on a logo beforehand, though? Oh, maybe. Who cares, though? Like, <laughs> because I, like, I hope they do just for my own entertainment because I think it'd be funny uh, just to see them show some signs of life, like in any shape or form uh, this season. But, uh, yeah, I think if the Falcons jump on the logo, I would laugh because we literally all know that that would not end out well for them in, in any manner because they're Falcons. That's what they do. Uh, Kyler Murray. Is there a quarterback you like watching play more than him? Uh, it's just like him and Lamar Jackson when he's on. Uh, like Kyler, it's just incredible because you have like the physical ability of someone who you know you think of like a, a Cam Newton, but it's just in this much smaller size. Like he has, you know, as strong as arm as anyone in the league. Not named Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. Uh, He's obviously very fast, probably would have run like a 4-4, maybe even a high 4-3 if he had run uh, at the combine. He's accurate, and it's just, you know, it's like watching a little Madden player that you would make like when you're drunk with your friends in college. Or make a little 5-9 five, five, quarterback with 99 throw power and 97 speed, and it's just kind of funny to watch him in the field, but like he's an absolutely incredible player, and I think, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of funny when you look at look back at how, Kyler got to Arizona, like it required such a specific head coach being in the right spot at the right time. Josh Rosen being like unusually bad for a rookie. And then it pulled the trigger on that. And I don't think that they regret that decision at all because, uh, you know, I think you can make the case that he's, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league under 25. And uh, they're going to be in a good spot for a long time as a quarterback. Uh, is this an accurate way to describe Kyler Murray? Uh, Will Blackman tweeted this last night. He's running around like a toddler avoiding bath and bedtime. Oh, yeah, he is. Uh, but my, I, th- I still think that I have the best comparison for him. Uh, last season, I said that Kyler Murray runs like Stewie from Family Guy, where you're just taking a bunch of little steps, uh, <laughs> but you're not really getting anywhere fast. Or, well, you're getting somewhere fast, but you're not taking, you know, your steps don't cover a lot of ground. It's, it's really kind of funny watching him run because he's taking like six inches at a time and sort of running away from everybody. Well, he is Charles McDonald again. It's at four verts on Twitter and uh, fight his work at for the win. Charles, as always, we appreciate it. All right. See you guys. So there's Charles McDonald from for the win. Mike, I'm going to imagine you have some terrible opinion about like you don't like watching running quarterbacks. I'm a pocket passer. Oh, guy. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's wins. It's, that's what wins. That's what wins. Listen to you. Unbelievable. I mean, I got a Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl, but. Begs to differ, but I all right. Like, I like the color. Stay inside the lines and do you know? Stick to the playbook. Stay inside. That is the playbook. Run around like a toddler, avoiding bath time. That's the playbook, and it works quite a lot for the Cardinals. All right, we've got a pair of tickets to go watch the Golden Knights take on the L.A. Kings on December twenty third. So if you want to go see the Golden Knights and the Kings December twenty third, seven zero two three six four eleven hundred is the phone number. Seven zero two. Three six four eleven hundred. You'll get a pair of tickets to the Golden Knights and Kings on December twenty third. We'll take caller number nine at seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. I can understand the fact of going for it there in that situation. When you look back and you see what happens when they go on that long drive and take up the clock and and score, you wish you would have went for it. That's the part that uh, you look back as a coach and you say, "Damn, you know, you know, that would have been a, a time to do that." At the same point in time, we were just coming off a three and out, but it obviously uh, backfired. Is that him talking about punting down 11 in the fourth quarter to the Packers? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, they were losing that game anyways, but yeah. 
down 11 in the fourth. Come on now. Even Mike would go for it in that situation. If you go for it and you don't get it, it's game oh over, though. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Gonna get out of the studio. It's already game over. You go 11 for it is a two-score game. You know what happened? They punted. Aaron Rodgers took eight minutes off the clock and scored a touchdown. Eight more minutes you were in the game. <laughs> not accurate <laughs> no, at all. No. no, not even close. All right. College football, the early signing day, the early signing period is tomorrow. You know, we can sign some kids tomorrow. Marcus Arroyo's recruiting classes. This has been the bright spot of the Marcus Arroyo era. He has had two top two classes since taking over for UNLV. That first one, probably the, one of the more impressive recruiting things that we've seen where he did not sign anybody in the early signing period, basically started from scratch and between middle of December and February, he signed a top two class in the mountain West. It was very impressive what he did his first two months on the job. Obviously they haven't translated to wins yet right now. UNLV's class ranks seventh by 24 seven. They have 10 commits. Um, a big portion of that recruiting ranking right now is that they don't have as many commits as some other schools. There are six other schools that have 10 or more. So recruiting rankings are both quality and quantity. If you only sign 10 guys, a school with 20 is almost always going to have a better class ranking than you. What are you expecting tomorrow? Like how good do you think? Are we talking about another top two recruiting class at the end of the day when we get into February in the second signing period? Well, according to these these rankings, if you want to get up to the number two spot, they're going to need some late movement to rise them up the rankings because the guys they have committed right now, it's okay. Like, okay to, to good. They've done some good things. They've added some players that seem promising. But uh, he said, you know, Marcus Arroyo said around 16 players probably for that first signing day. They've only got 10 now, so we'll see what they bring in on the, the final day. He's talked about depth, too which I find interesting because it's a conversation that has been ongoing through three different coaches that I have since I've been in Vegas, the three different coaches that have been here, Bobby Houck, Tony Sanchez, and Marcus Arroyo have all talked about the depth and how UNLV, while they might be able to match the, you know, first string talent of some other mountain West schools, some middle of the road mountain West schools, they don't have the depth to actually compete over the course of a full season when attrition starts to wear down. Is that just the fact of life as a UNLV coach, or should should we be looking at this saying you've that's you a fact have of that. life? But like, no UNLV okay. team is going to go three deep, right? I mean, do they even go too deep? No, can you go too deep at UNLV? You if you're, should, if you're at some a, point, if you're a good player who comes to UNLV and you're second on the depth chart. How long are you going to stay? I mean, like, are you going to stay and be quality depth for a a year, two years, three years? No, you're probably going to go in the portal and leave. Like, I don't know. But if you're second on the depth chart at UNLV, where are you going? Somewhere if where you, you can play. But this, okay, so you're going like D two. I, I hear you, but like, okay, here's the thing: Marcus Arroyo has signed back to back top two classes in the Mountain West. He's brought in fifty something kids right in that time period. It's not like he took over a roster that had zero players on it. Tony Sanchez, there was there were players on the team. Hell, the best players on the team were the ones left over from the they Tony Sanchez They were a perfectly era. fine middle-of-the-road Mountain West team. Right, and he, in the last two years, has brought in 50-something kids. I feel like there's enough that we shouldn't be talking about UNLV can't win games because of depth. Depth is... A sort of a catch-all. Now, there's a difference between depth and what UNLV had at the end of the year where there are certain positions where they're so banged up that, like, 
hey, we need a D lineman to switch over and play tight end for the last two games. So we need stuff like that to happen. The Tony Sanchez special. Yeah. And Marcus Rory was doing that the, the last couple of games as well. So that kind of stuff is going to happen. I don't, the, the idea that you're going to build some sort of deep next man up like Alabama type juggernaut where we just need to go four deep with starters at every position. That's just not going to happen at UNLV. But there should be something in between having to have guys change position and you're fine if you lose three guys at one position. The guy, the the players who are fit that in between mold are going to be bad. So it's like if you lose your starters, that's what I'm saying. At UNLV, if you lose your starting cornerback, I don't expect them to ever have a starting caliber backup. Like the guy, the next man up that steps in is not going to be good and keep you afloat back there. I mean, I guess they could keep you afloat if you you know scheme around it and coach them up and stuff. But I don't expect them to ever have like a true next man up. Like we're just going to fill that hole with the next guy because we have good depth. So when Marcus Arroyo talks about wanting to improve his depth, it's it's just a, a foolish. That's just, like, that's just a coach. That's like a coaching thing. You need, co- you, they need players that can play. Like there are times when UNLV puts players out there who just can't play. And we, we've all seen that you can't have that. So you've got to have just at least competency on the depth chart, but they're never going to have like true, true too deep across the board. So the idea feel. of building depth at UNLV is a fool's errand. Like it's something that can't be a, that's what you're telling. I would say, look more for get good starters is what you should be concerned with and, and good players. Is the Mountain West Freshman of the Year signing today with UNLV? Uh, it's trending that way. 